We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. How has your Christmas been so far? Have you been, uh, is it good? Is it, uh, some of you say stressful? Anyone scurrying around trying to get that last gift? Uh, I don't know about you, but many uh, Christmases uh, for many people year after year uh, in their hearts are always, well, next year I'll slow down. You know, this year we went by so fast, but next year I will stop and I will be quiet and I will reflect. And the next year comes and we go through the Christmas traditions and we uh, have this wonderful, glorious story, this account of the birth of Christ. And yet we are so excited about singing our Christmas songs and putting the lights up and wrapping those gifts and making things for people. And I wonder uh, how it's been for you over the past weeks as you reflect on the birth of Christ, if you've been able to just be quiet. We, we like to sing that song, Silent Night. Uh, have you been silent and reflected on and pondered the things which we read in Scripture this morning? This morning, as we look at Luke chapter 2, uh, we not only are celebrating uh, this holiday of Christmas, but what we're really celebrating is the first advent of Christ, the coming of God in the flesh And the wonderful gift that he's given us, the grace that we find in Jesus. As we look at this text this morning, which is so familiar, um, the big idea is this. The good news of Christ's birth provides the hope of salvation for his people. Would you look with me at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God and all for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And, when the, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb, the word of God. Amen. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading and bless the preaching of your word. May you make a story, an account that is so, so familiar to many of us. Move our hearts this morning to praise you and to give glory to you as the angels did that night that they were there before the shepherds. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure that most of you just really enjoy preparing for and planning to pay taxes. Right? I mean, every year we take the journey. If you want to say, and we get all of our receipts, we get everything together, and either you do it yourself, or you, you take your journey to your tax preparer, and you get ready and figure out how to not pay taxes. Oh, well, no, I shouldn't say that. How to pay your taxes, right? Always trying to find ways to do these things. You have uh, an account here of the birth of Christ in which there is the ruler of this world uh, at that time, uh, Caesar Augustus. And he says, we're going to have uh, a census. And really, the reason is to count the people so they can get more taxes and still be uh, reigning and ruling over the people. So look at verses one through seven. As we look at this, we look at the birth of Christ and it says there's this, this, this decree, Caesar Augustus sends out and says that the world must go or to their places of birth so that a census could be taken so that the government of Rome could know who lived where and again to tax the people. And so they all had to go to their home, uh, their hometown. If I had to go back to my hometown for that, uh, I would have to be going to Lindsay, California, where I was born. Here we look at the little town of Bethlehem in which Mary and Joseph must go. But think about Mary and Joseph, end of her pregnancy, possibly very young. And to think, what? We have to travel 70 to 90 miles? <clears throat> God, this isn't the right timing. Have you ever thought that in life? Anything comes across your plate? You're like, Lord, what are you doing? And it's, it might just be the circumstances in this world. And God's not doing anything to you, but he's appointed uh, things to happen according to his time. But I mean, think about Mary and Joseph at the end of a pregnancy. I don't know if they went and studied in the prophecy and said, hey, we're supposed to go to Bethlehem at some point. But think of the inconvenience. But when you think of this, it was, as verse 6 says, that the time came. At the right time, the perfect moment in history, the perfect timing according to God's plan is at this time when this Roman governor, this Roman leader, a Caesar, would say, we're going to have a census. <clears throat> and the timing of all these things, many of those things which you may see as trials in your life, 
or, or something which we would call the providence of God. That if we, if we believe that God's in control of all things and the timing of all things, then anything and everything that happens in our life happens at the perfect time. It may not be what we want. It may not be the timing that we want to have that. We don't want to go through this trial, Lord. Uh, yes, I see the benefit of Scripture and you'll take me through, but this is not the right time for the trial. Lord, this is not the right time for us to have this happen in our life. At the right time, Mary and Joseph were required by law to go to Bethlehem. Some people would think, well, Rome just, you know, this just happened. Caesar Augustus just happened to it. And Rome was really the one who drove Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. But we have scripture which would say differently. If you turn to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church of Galatia, he helps us understand God's timing with his plan. In Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. At the right time, at the fullness of time, the Lord God sent His Son Jesus to be born in that little place, that village of Bethlehem. And if you look in our text in Luke chapter 2, Joseph... And Mary, they're in Galilee, they're in Nazareth. That's why Jesus is called the Nazarene. And they have to go to the city of David. If you read Matthew chapter 1, you will see how Joseph is related to King David and coming down that line and why he must go to Bethlehem, this place where their family must register. And they could have made some excuses. They could have hid out. Mary, Mary, we'll just go later. You're pregnant. You can't make this journey right now. They could have. Scripture says that they didn't make any excuses, but they obeyed what was given by Caesar, and they went to Bethlehem. Imagine a woman at the end of her pregnancy traveling 70 to 90 miles, depending on the route. Depending on the route, they could have risen to and hiked 3,500 feet in elevation. How many miles a day did they travel? 5, 10, 15, 20? Where did they sleep at nighttime? People's houses? Were they in homes? We know that when Jesus was dedicated to the temple, the sacrifice they brought was a person that has not much, a poor person's offering. And so I don't know how much money they had to spend to stay at places. Did she walk? Did she ride an animal? Let me ask you this. What animal did Mary ride on? We're quick to say donkey, right? Have you read scripture? No mention of an animal. Our movies do. My son Jonathan this week, he said, hey, was the drummer boy real? And we were talking about the shepherds. And, and, and he goes, was he what? He was asking me, did he, is he a shepherd boy? I said, no, buddy, you know, 
It's, it's a story. It's, it's something that Christian culture has made up to add in. And so I, I ask those questions not to catch you and go, ah, you don't know what it is. She didn't ride a donkey or, or there was no drummer boy. It's that would draw you. I know that you read the scripture, but pay attention because something that is so familiar to you, you can just absorb in the things and you can watch the latest movie about the birth of Christ and go, oh, that happened. Most of our nativity scenes are completely wrong. The wise men were never there that night. Read Matthew. Chapter 1, chapter 2. We don't know what their journey was like. Before moving to Montana, I remember years ago, um, listening to an audio book about the journey that Lewis and Clark did. The two-year journey and all the stuff they went through. I was like, wow, that is a crazy journey. Was Mary and Joseph's journey crazy, filled with all kinds of chaos? Or was it just, hey, a light stroll every day, made on the way to Bethlehem? We, we don't know. But we sometimes want to add to the features of the simple, plain uh, account of Scripture because, oh, this is what we saw in the movies or this is what we've read. And I would just say, read Scripture plainly for what it is and that we would know what, we, what God has given us and what he has not answered. The most important thing is in this, when we look at this text today with this where they go, is go back to the book of Micah. Read Micah chapter 5. In Micah chapter 5, a prophet of God who prophesied 700 years before the birth of Christ in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. I wonder if Mary and Joseph read that and said, hey, we got to go to Bethlehem because you've got to have the baby there. We don't know if they knew that or not. But it's amazing that 700 years before the birth of Christ, that God would declare that that would happen. And it was fulfilled in Luke chapter two's account that Jesus Christ was born in the village, the little town of Bethlehem. And it is there that a glorious miracle takes place. Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came, there it is, for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Again, it was the Lord God Almighty who directed their steps to that place. Not just the town, but the place that they would, she would give birth to the place where Jesus would be placed in a feeding trough, in some type of uh, way, a nook in a rock, whatever it may be, a crude, a humble place for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to be laid there. To think that the Lord would direct that in the picture of Christ's first coming, being humble. And his death, the humility that he went through. That night when Jesus was born, we always think of this calm moment, this peaceful moment. I don't know, most babies, at least the five kids that we've had, they all are loud when they're born. Some of them screaming, crying, whatever. But they were gathered there 
And a distance away, there's these fields outside of Bethlehem. And it's there where there is this message of joy, this proclamation of great, good and glorious news. Uh, Look at verses 8 through 12. It's announced to some guys who are working that night. I don't know if all of them were awake, if some of them were sleeping. We don't know how many there were, but it says in verse 8, And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Notice it does not mention a drummer boy. Shepherds. You can read all kinds of things historically, culturally about shepherds at that time. But many, uh, many people at that time viewed shepherds uh, very lowly in culture, that they were low in society, down towards the bottom of the list of people. And to think that these are the people that God would declare first the good news to. He does not go and send the angels to the governor. He does not send them to uh, the emperor. He does not send them to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes. He doesn't gather them. And you would think, wait a minute, all this prophecy of the Old Testament, the religious leaders, they would have it memorized. God, why wouldn't you send the angels to them? God chooses the lowly shepherds in the field to declare his glory, to declare his good news. Look at verse 9 and 10. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with what? Fear. I think the King James says something like they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, I don't know if all of them were awake. We don't know what time of night this is. They were gathered around a fire. We don't know if it's cold or warm uh, that night. But an angel of the Lord appears. And when you read through Old Testament scripture, anytime an angel of the Lord appears, people are fearful. They fall on their faces. They back away. They're covering their face because the glory or when you read through the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory of God is emanating from the this angel, of the Lord that brings a message to these shepherds. And you would think at some point all the shepherds are aroused from their sleep if they were sleeping and they are listening to this declaration for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto you is good news that God has provided a solution to your problem. You might think, what, I have a problem? Shepherds think, oh, do I have a problem? few weeks ago, we were looking at Isaiah and Isaiah writing about people walking in darkness with no hope whatsoever. And they were longing for and their hope was in a Messiah, not seeing those things. And here the hope has come. I wonder if these shepherds right away realized what the angel was saying, the hope that they've been waiting for the Messiah that has come. It says under there in verse 11, for unto you. Again, speaking to these shepherds, no announcement to the leaders of Israel or the leaders of the world. He says, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, Christ the Messiah, the promised one to Adam, to Abraham, to King David, promised to the nation of Israel, promised to all people, all those who are living in spiritual darkness, the light 
has come. Jesus Christ has been born. And I would say this. In this passage, we see God's faithfulness to us. We see God's faithfulness to his people. We see God's faithfulness because he's said that he would do and he did. His promises are always fulfilled. Yet, how many of us live in a world where trouble hits us and we begin to question, oh, God, are you really good? Some of you say, oh, did you say that? Well, I'm sure that many of us think things about God that are not right in moments of trials, in moments of anger, in moments of loss, in moments of grief. But know this, the word, word of God continues to show us every time we open it that God is faithful. And he always answers his, answers his great and wonderful promises. Look at here what it says, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? Savior. A Savior. You might say, what do we need to be saved from? I wonder if they were asking that question. Savior, Savior for what? Is, there, is this being saved from Rome? Is it being saved from the leaders that are over us in this country? Is that what they were thinking? No, the... Salvation is from sin. It's from the curse of death. It's being saved from the guilt that you have before God Almighty. If you go and you look at Matthew chapter 1, which we saw last week, where an angel speaks to Joseph, the angel says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their what? From their sins. Jesus will save his people. From their sins that they have committed against God. And not only just sins we've committed. You've lied. You've done these things. You've hated people. You've broken God's law. You say, yes, okay, I need to be saved from those things. But Jesus not only saves you from sin and your slavery to sin. But he saves you from the wrath of God Almighty. And you might think, well, wait a minute. I don't like to think of God as a God of wrath. He's a God of love, right? Yes, a God of love. But the word of God, we must never hide, shrink back, or try to belittle it. That is very clear that God is a God of wrath. And God will pour out his wrath upon all those who are sinners. Are all of us sinners? That's one of those ones that everyone says, Yes. We don't want to admit that because we're like, whoa, the wrath of God? That's meant for me? Yes, that's why when it says a Savior who is Christ the Lord, do you get it? Do you see the good message here? Salvation from sin, salvation from guilt and shame before God, but salvation from the wrath of God. And the wrath of God is very clear that God created a place called hell for Satan and the demons who rose up against him. And it's unfortunate that anyone and everyone who rejects Jesus Christ, the Savior, will also be cast to hell for eternity. And the wrath of God is poured out upon them. Jesus Christ has come to save his people from their sins and the wrath of God. Turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul helps us understand this more clearly in verses 5 through 11. But because of your heart and impenitent heart, you are storing up 
wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation, distress for every human being who does evil for the Jew first and also the Greek. But but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Some of you are going, why are we talking about this? It's Christmas. The silent night. The cute baby Jesus. The shepherds come. Why don't we, why can't, why do we just, why can't we just think of the glow and the glory of Christmas and the angels? I mean, if that's all that Advent celebration Christmas is, we've missed the whole point. That Jesus has come to be our savior. As much as we think from pictures and movies, how wonderful that must have looked like. And it could have been dark night. And so we must look at our sin when we look at the manger. We must look at our sin because it leads us to the cross. And we must ask, will God pour out his wrath on me? Yes, a sinner who is not repentant and does not believe in Christ as Lord and Savior. Yes, will receive the wrath of God. And that's because we're all born as enemies of God. And not just enemies of God, but we're at war with God before the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see the gospel truth of Jesus Christ. Turn a couple pages over to Romans chapter 5. The wonderful thing and good news that we see with this is that the enemy of God can be saved from the wrath of God. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 through 11. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The good news that was declared to those shepherds, the good news for us today is one that we can rejoice in at Christmas over the birth of Christ. Because the problem of sin is solved by the death of Jesus Christ at the cross in our place for our sins. And so they say back in. The angel says back in, as we see in verse 11, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. 700 years before Isaiah proclaimed that. He said that this Messiah is called the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And again, Micah said 700 years before the birth of Christ, a sign he'll be born in Bethlehem. And here in verse 12, the angel says, you know what? Here's a sign for you. You go into the city. And if you go in there and you go look for a baby, you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, these, this rough type of, of strips of cloth, 
and not only that, lying in a manger. And you think, well, there's probably a lot of babies possibly in town during that time when they were in Bethlehem. And there's probably some who are maybe even wrapped in swaddling cloth that night. But how many of them are laid in a feeding trough of an animal? That was their sign. And so just as the prophets gave many signs that night, the angel says to the shepherds, here's your sign. And not only the sign, but look at verses 13 through 14. There's an assembly of praise. I mean, imagine the sky filled with numbers and numbers of angels. The glory of God lighting up the sky. And they are praising and giving glory to God because an angel just declared the gospel. And any time the gospel is declared, there should be a praising and a glory in the heart of God's people, just like the angels of heaven. It says there in verse 13, and suddenly there was with an angel a multitude. They use this as a, as a military term for an army encampment. A multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels are giving glory to God. Are you a person who are quick to give glory to God? What do I mean? Of course, I I glorify God. No, I I pray that you would examine everything you say and do this week. When you leave, even this afternoon, anytime that anyone ever encourages you, anytime that anyone ever wants to praise you for something, is it quick off your lips? Say, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Because He's the one who does any good work in us. And when we recognize that God gets all the glory and we don't get any of it, it gets rid of our pride. And pride stinks, doesn't it? Pride just makes us smell horrible. Pride is one of those things that works even in the Christian at times to try to take credit for the things that God does. The angels are glorifying God. Something that's happening night and day around the throne room of God. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation, not with an S, Revelations, but Revelation Chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Does our life give glory to God as the angels do constantly around the throne room of heaven? Is God receiving all the praise and all the glory for anything and everything that we do? I would say that it is a challenge for many of us going through the trouble and trials of this world that we become so distracted. And many times we do not give glory to God. We take or steal glory from God. Or we just ignore giving God the glory that is due Him. The angels say glory to God in the highest And on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. This peace on earth is not a a declaration of no more wars. It's a declaration of peace between God and a sinful person. 
It's peace that they're declaring. It's again the gospel, the good news that through the work of Jesus Christ, the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, that a person can believe in Christ as Lord and Savior and there can be peace between God and an enemy who's at war with God. Imagine that. Think of that. Hold to that if you're a follower of Christ. God hates sin, true? If you read scripture, not only God hates sin, he actually hates the sinner. And yet we live in a world that wants to say, oh, but God loves the sin. No, it's clear that God hates sin and he hates the sinner. You go, wow, that's harsh. It's what we have declared to us in the word of God. But God so loved us that he would send his son to die for us to show his great love for his grace and his mercy that he would pour out his son. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 says, for by grace you have been saved through him, through, I mean, through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. We are saved through him, Jesus Christ, the work of God. Salvation is a gift of God. It's grace. And so when you think of Christmas time and opening gifts, that you are opening this gift that someone's given you to think of the grace of God is this gift of forgiveness being made at peace with God, God dwelling in the hearts of his people. He's no longer far off in a temple, but he dwells in the temple of the hearts of his people. And in Ephesians chapter 2, in verses 13 through 14, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Jesus Christ is your peace, because it says, He who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, that day when he took on the sins, that we have committed against God. And God poured out his wrath on the son that was meant for you. There was an earthquake at his death. There was this point of darkness. And there was a veil, a very thick veil in the temple, separating people from the Holy of Holies, where the priest would go, the high priest would go in only once a year to make this sacrifice. And at that time of Jesus' death, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. And it was a wonderful, glorious thing for us to think about because what it did was open up the place, the Holy of Holies, so that we, through faith in Christ, could enter in, worship our Lord and Savior. This is the good news of the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior. And if you look at the last few verses where we're at in Luke chapter 2 and verses 15 through 21, there's a joyful response. The shepherds, they respond. It says, when the, verse 15, when the angels went away from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. They gathered up whatever and they took off. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Maybe they paraded a whole bunch of, of sheep through the city, I, through the town. I don't know. They just left and they just went. They said that we have this sign. They've just seen the glory of God emanating through the, 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 the messengers of God, the angels. And they went with haste. It means to go with speed. They hurried. They went to go and see the Savior. 
And they find Mary and Joseph. And just as the angel said, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, but lying in a manger. God is faithful. God is good. He always fulfills his word. And when they saw it, look at their response, verse 17. They made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. We don't know if they left that evening, if they hung around all night, if it was early morning. But in the, their leaving, after they go and see, they go and tell. They respond with their mouth. All of these people that are in this city who go, oh, there's those lowly shepherds. There's those dirty guys or whatever. And they're liars. They're thieves, whatever. And they're telling them. These angels appeared. They said, here's what happened. We found the baby. And the people were wondering, what were they talking about? And this world responds the same way when they hear the gospel of Jesus. Sometimes people are like, are you crazy? That's the strangest story. person would come, God would come himself and die. There's always a response. It's one to believe it or one to not. They either believe the good news, the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the return of Christ, or they reject it all, say it's foolishness. Mary takes all this in and is quiet. Says Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Treasured means to keep within, to keep in mind, to ponder it, to... Uh, bring together within oneself to, to, to really think and hold these things and reflect upon them. And I would encourage you this morning, as we've read the Word of God, as you've heard the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ declared to you, to reflect, to ponder, to wonder, to be amazed, to glory in God for the work that He has done to go and see in the sense of read the scripture and ask the Holy Spirit to make it um, come alive to you as you read. To go and tell other people. Romans chapter 10 is the last verse I'll read to you. Romans chapter 10 verses 8. Verse 11. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Just as these shepherds went out and spoke the truth to the people, what they witnessed that night. If you're a follower of Christ, you are to do the same with all of the days that God has given you for the rest of your life to not just go and see, but to go and tell the joy that you have in Christ Jesus, the one born in Bethlehem, the one who died on the cross in your place for your sins, the one who was raised from the tomb, who's ruling and reigning and will be returning If you're not a follower of Christ, what I just read to you, maybe the Lord is directing you today. Tell the Lord, confess with your mouth. I'm a sinner. I need you to be my savior. Confess that Jesus is Lord. He does a saving work. 
I could tell you a word-by-word prayer to pray and it wouldn't do anything apart from the work of the Holy Spirit moving in your heart. As our worship team comes forward, would you join me in prayer? Father, in this uh, moment, I pray that we would reflect in some quietness, to reflect upon a story, an account that is so familiar, that we know so closely, that every year after year after year at Christmas, we read and reflect upon. I pray that this morning, as we think of the angels that came, as we think of the journey that Mary and Joseph took, as we think of the birth of your son, Jesus, would you also lead us to reflect on the cross and the empty grave? We praise you this morning and we ask that your heart would, that you would stir our hearts and that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.